This is Trek FM. Helling frequencies open. This is your Trek FM Hyper Channel for Monday, July 7th, 2014. I'm Christopher Jones, and I have one story for you today. Mike and Denise Okuda speak out on Blu-ray effects mistake. The attention to detail practiced by the creative team behind Star Trek: The Next Generation was incredible, particularly when it was assumed that this detail would never be seen. The HD remastering has brought out the finer points of the 24th century, as well as the opportunity to fix problems that fans have pointed out for years. Most visual effects oddities have been corrected, but some fans are still not satisfied. Now, I find this story interesting. I'm sure you've heard Rick Berman tell the story before about how, in the early days of TNG, they would receive letters about mistakes, like a what was the one? It was a phaser beam coming out of a photon torpedo tube, I believe is the story he tells. And that's how much fans pay attention to these fine, fine details. I found it a little bit odd myself because I'm—I want things to be correct, but at the same time, I'm not a nitpicker. I'm really not a nitpicker. I don't enjoy these books like *The Nitpicker's Guide to Star Trek* or *To the Next Generation* or whatever. I sometimes point little things out on the shows. As conversational points, but they don't really detract from the episodes for me. But for some fans, I know they really do bother them. And there have been a number of things that have been fixed or things that have been enhanced over the course of the TNG remastering. We now have six seasons of TNG on Blu-ray, and Trek Core put together a side-by-side comparison. Of a few of the things that have been fixed, for example, in Encounter at Farpoint, the energy beam that feeds the Farpoint creature from orbit, it has been moved from looking like it was coming from the captain's yacht over to the phaser array. This is when you see it side by side. This is a pretty big mistake, unless there's someone on the captain's yacht who is emitting this beam. From the captain giant, but at the same time, it's a mistake that I never thought about. When I watch that episode, I just see the beam coming down, and it's coming from the saucer section, and I don't really care exactly where it's coming from.、It、doesn't bother me, but it was fixed in the remastered. In the Royale, we see the astronaut's suit, and there's a NASA patch on there, and on the patch. It has the it's the emblem of the NASA Charybdis mission, which is what this astronaut was taking part in. And in the original episode, they just used the Apollo 17 patch because I mean it's an SD, you can't really see it that clearly. But in remastered, of course, you really could read the details. So they changed it, and now it says Charybdis NASA first beyond the solar system. Prior to this, it actually had the Roman numerals seventeen and the name of the astronauts on it. Another one that Trek Core points out is from Darmok, where a phaser beam is emanating from the forward torpedo launcher, which is probably the one Rick Berman is talking about, actually. And it has been replaced with a shot from the dorsal phaser array. 
So it makes sense that that's where it would be coming from. Nitpicky, yes, but it's better to have these things be correct. Again, I never paid any attention to it because, I mean, Darmok is such a great episode. And personally, I feel that if you're focused on where a phaser beam is emanating from the ship, you're kind of missing the message of Darmok. But good thing that it was fixed. So this brings us to the controversy that's going on right now. In the episode Timescape, there's a similar situation where a power transfer is emanating from the deflector array, but the energy beam is coming from the port side of the engineering section of the ship. And I believe that the characters actually do say deflector array in the episode. So clearly, it should be coming from there. And this is a case where it does match up with dialogue and visuals. And it would make a lot more sense if the beam were coming from the place that the characters say it's coming from, but it's not. And for some reason, they didn't fix this. They left it this way in the remastered. And it's kind of odd, considering all the other things that they fixed, why didn't they fix this? Well, Mike and Denise Okuda spoke out about this on Facebook. And they said, with regard to the energy beam and timescape, we asked CBS to leave the energy beam where it was because, after some analysis, we realized that it was an artistic choice by the visual effects team. Even though it is technically a mistake, we prefer to respect the decisions of the original team. In the case of Farpoint and Darmok, we believe those to have been random errors rather than deliberate decisions. We regard the role of the CBS team as that of restoring the original artist's work to HD, rather than attempting to fix everything that we feel might have been done differently. We believe that most fans prefer that we honor the people whose work they have loved for so many years. And that's really the issue for me about this. What I'd like to know from you is how do you feel about these visual effects mistakes? Should they all be corrected or should the original work be preserved? And do they bother you when you see them in an episode? I, of course, very much respect the opinion of Mike and Denise Okuda. No one knows more about Star Trek and the production than they do. I find it kind of hard to believe that this was an artistic choice as opposed to just a mistake. But I agree with them that the role of remastering and restoring should be to maintain the original artist's work as much as possible. In fact, I would have been okay if they had kept the original Apollo 17 patch in the Royale. Yeah, it's kind of weird, but that's what they used, so so be it. It's okay with me. Same with Encounter at Farpoint. If they had left the beam coming from the captain's yacht instead of moving it so that it's coming from the phaser array, I would have been just fine with that because that's how it was done originally. I don't really mind these things. And I don't really understand fans who get this upset about it. I read some people, I think it was in the comments on the Trekcore article, we're saying that this is cause for a recall. Like CBS should recall all of the season six Blu-ray sets, fix this one little thing in Timescape, 
and then send everyone new sets. I don't understand that at all. I, I don't want to send my disks back to have this one little thing fixed. It doesn't seem like a recall issue to me. And most everyone else in the thread was also saying, like, how is that a recall issue? So anyway, again, it's different people have different tastes and different people care about different things in Star Trek. Some people are into the character interactions. Some people are into the ships. Some people are into the special effects. And that's wonderful. And that's what makes Star Trek so great and so appealing to everyone. And so again, my point here isn't to say you're crazy if you care about these things. My point here is just to say that for me, they're not that important. I kind of don't think this was an artistic choice, but if Mike and Denise Okuda analyzed it and that's the conclusion that they came to, I'm fine with that too. It works, it works for me. I don't mind. I would like to know what you think about it and what your position is on this. So let me know. You can find me on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones, the letter C and Brian with a Y. I'm also on Facebook, facebook.com slash C Brian Jones. And I'll put a link to the Trek Core page in the show notes so you can go over and actually see the side-by-sides because they have images of the original and the remastered. And then in the case of the Timescape, when they actually have a video clip that you can watch and you can see exactly what everyone is talking about. I have a little bit of feedback today as well. This is from SoundCloud again, and this is from Mares. And Mares is one of my favorite people. She has been a loyal listener of Trekka Film almost since we started. And she listens to all of our shows and provides us with feedback on a regular basis. But this is the first time on SoundCloud. I think I said last time that Seymour Bites is the only person who leaves us feedback on SoundCloud. And so Mares decided to leave us some feedback there as well. And she's commenting on the merchandise question I had when I asked what kind of Star Trek merchandise grabs your attention and actually moves you to purchase things. And she had some comments about the memorial or the the statue. It was not a memorial, but I felt like it was a memorial and she did as well. But beyond that, she said, as for merchandise in general, I buy more books than anything else. I'm not really into collectibles anymore, but I will buy a mug or t-shirt now and then if they're made well. And of course, I have my wall with my Star Trek clock, convention photos, and autographs. For people just getting into Trek now, perhaps through the JJ movies, I could imagine games like STO drawing them in and keeping them going. Personally, I love all the burgeoning fan shows and films, which is why I really enjoy your Continuing Mission podcast, in addition to all your other shows. Podcasts and fan productions are a huge part of what keeps Trek going for me. Have a great day and do a barrel roll! So you can tell that Mares has been listening to The Ready Room for years because she knows you should always do a barrel roll. I'm pretty much in agreement with Mares here. Personally, I buy a lot of books. I mean, I read pretty much all the books that come out because of doing our podcast Literary Treks where we talk about them and we interview the authors. So I need to read them for that anyway. But I enjoy the extended universe in the literature because it helps us continue the 23rd and 24th century prime timeline stories that we're not getting anywhere else right now. Likewise for me, a very nicely designed shirt or a nice mug is something that I would buy from time to time to keep around my desk, you know, or wear when I go out somewhere. 
Those are the things I like as well. So, Mares, thanks so much for your feedback. And for everyone else, you can still chime in on this if you'd like. Just let me know. Again, you can find me on Twitter. My username is CBrianJones. And also you can send me email through the Trek FM contact form at trek.fm slash contact. Now I have a big network update for you today. We have three new shows. First, there is Melodic Trek's Darkness in the Hall. And in this episode, Colin is joined by John Taylor and Laura Fawcett, who actually attended the concerts at the Royal Albert Hall recently, where Michael Giacchino led performances of his scores from Star Trek 2009 and Star Trek Into Darkness. Now, these were two different concerts on consecutive nights. They showed the films up on a big screen while Giacchino conducted an orchestra that played the accompanying soundtrack. Really, really cool. I I would kill to be there as a musician, as someone who spent many years playing in orchestra. I would love to be there for that. That would be amazing. In fact, I would love to actually be sitting there playing bass trombone, which is the instrument that I played for so many years in the orchestra, being led by Giacchino, performing along with the film. That would have been awesome. So tune into this. You can get a first-hand account of the night from John and Laura. And then we have a new episode of Literary Treks, which we've named beastsandbutterflies.com. And if you listen to the episode, you'll understand where the title comes from. Matthew Rushing and I, we went through the Lost Apollo comics, which was a two-part from IDW from last month, the last couple of months, which takes place in the Abramsverse because it's Star Trek ongoing. But they're finally on that five-year mission that they keep promising us forever and they never go on. Well, they're finally there now. And we get a story which it really feels like the original series and the characters are written very well. So much so that you can forget that it's Abramverse and you can read it like it's an original series story in the Prime Universe. And it works pretty well, especially with Kirk and Bones. It's just kind of odd that Carol Marcus is there. But it's a good story and we enjoyed it and we go through it in this episode of Literary Treks. Finally, we have a new episode of Standard Orbit for you. And if you remember, when Enterprise was, I say, winding down, it was more like fading out, got canceled. After that, there were a lot of pitches by people who wanted to reboot Star Trek. This is before J.J. Abrams got the green light for his reboot. And J. Michael Straczynski of Babylon 5 fame and Bryce Zabel, they together had a pitch that they presented to CBS. And Mike and Drew actually go through that pitch, tell you what it's about, tell you how it would have differed from what we've gotten right now. They ask, would the concept of TNG's The Chase work as a huge story arc? And would we be okay with a female Scotty? So you'll find all three of these episodes in your feeds right now if you subscribe to the individual feeds for Melodic Treks, Literary Treks, and Standard Orbit, or to the Trek of Film Complete Master Feed, which of course contains every episode of every show that we do. You can get those everywhere that you get your podcasts. And remember, you can also get a Hyper Channel in the Master Feed as well, and you can subscribe to the Hyper Channel show feed and have the show delivered directly to your device of choice every single day. As I mentioned earlier, I would love to chat with you about these remastered visual effects and how you feel about how they're handled or anything else that you want to talk about. You can find me on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones, the letter C and Brian with a Y. I'm on Facebook at facebook.com slash C Brian Jones. 
And also, you can find the network on Twitter. Our username is TrekFM. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. On Google+, we have a community. We also have forums at trek.fm slash forums. You can send me a voicemail through the website. Just look in the sidebar to see that. And also, we have the contact form that I mentioned earlier, trek.fm slash contact. And that comes to me by email. Or you can leave me feedback on SoundCloud, just like Mares did today. Well, thanks as always for listening, everyone. I'll be back tomorrow with some more stories for you. And until then, go watch some Trek.